Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right, hey, have you seen a movie, read a book, uh, experienced something that you uh, just absolutely loved? Right, something recently, right? I think about it. I mean, have you uh, experienced something that was just like life-changing, just amazing? Right? Whatever it is, we all have one thing in common afterwards right? when we experience that type of thing. And once we experienced it, we want to share it. Right? We want to let other people know about it. Right? We want to tell everybody. Ryan Walker, for example, last Sunday was telling me about a restaurant where he got some amazing pork belly, right? And he was, he was excited to share this news with me. I could feel his energy. I was excited for him. I mean, I, I of course, have already been to the restaurant, but I was still <laughs> excited for him, that he had experienced this and that he wanted to share uh, this gospel, right? This good news with me. Well, look, we want to share our experiences. Right? We, we just do. We want, we want to let other people in on our, our discoveries. We want uh, to recommend to others, don't we? Right? But, but any good recommendation is only as credible as the person doing the actual recommending. Does that make sense? Right? If, if, if someone is not credible, recommend something, you probably won't try it. That's just just common sense. For example, if Ryan or Ron tells me about a a, a good restaurant, my interest is piqued. They're credible in that that place, in that that setting. My interest is piqued, and I'm going to try that restaurant. But if if Barrett, for example, tells me, uh, Ryan's son Barrett tells me, about a restaurant or something to eat, I'm just going to let it go in one ear and out the other because you can't trust someone who only eats pizza rolls, <laughs> right? He's not, he's not credible. So all this means that in order for recommendations to work, you would have to have some sort of, of a relationship with the person that you're recommending to at some level, at the very least, right? If, if anyone uh, follows my recommendations for a certain movie, it's because I have some sort of relationship or credibility with that person that I'm recommending something to, which naturally leads to influence in our lives, right? in their lives, influence from us to them. But now on the, on the flip side of this, this whole thing, if someone is not credible, recommends something, like we said, we're just not going to try it, or, or at least not give it much weight, right? So, so I want you to look at it like this. I want, you to, I want you to get this foundation, because we all need to grab a hold of this for today's message uh, to make sense. So, so understand this. When it comes to choices, right, when it comes to choices uh, from life to work to relationships and everything in between, Right? We're more likely to accept a recommendation from someone that we trust to be a good influence. All right? We got to grab a hold of that. We got to understand that. 
right? We gotta, we gotta understand that we're only probably only gonna take it serious if we can trust someone. Now, let me tell you a story that I think illustrates this point, and it involves uh, my father-in-law, Christina's dad. His name is is Bob, and uh, and Bob knows a few things, right? He he's really good at cooking, specifically Italian cuisine. All right, Italian dishes. He's a, he's a history buff. Uh, he, he's pretty knowledgeable when it comes to Bible knowledge. And he's also pretty knowledgeable with the useless, just stupid stuff, right? Like he would probably do pretty good on Jeopardy. Right? And he knows a lot about football. Right? Football. Right? And Bob was a high school football coach for over 30 years. And later in his career... His players took to calling him the wizard. That's what they, that's what they nicknamed him, the, the wizard, because he could seemingly make magic uh, happen on the defensive side of the ball. He was very creative. He, he knew all the X's and the O's, and he knew what to do. And when I first started dating Christina, I, I was nervous to meet her parents, and she was just like, just talk football with my dad. Right? You just got to talk football with my dad, and, and I know I love football too. <laughs> got a runner. All right. She's just like, just talk football with my dad, and everything's going to be all right. It will work itself out. And that's what we did. We talked for hours and, and hours. Right? There, there was so much he knew about football that he taught me. He really was a wizard. But here's the point of my story, right? Near the end of his coaching career, he was beginning to lose his, his vision. Uh, he, he was starting to go blind, and pretty rapidly, in fact. And so what he did his final couple of seasons is he would uh, assign a player to stand beside him for the entire game. And he would have that player call out what he saw. Right? The, the player would say, hey, Coach P, we have two in the backfield and, and one to the left. Or there's trips to the right. That's what, three wide receivers to the right. And, and the, the quarterback's in the shotgun. Or he would just call out everything that he would see. And using this information, Bob, the wizard, right, would call the defensive plays. He would call in the plays, and they would win. Right? <laughs> A lot. And the amount of trust... That was required by not just Bob, but the whole team. Just It blows my mind. It really does, right? So when I, I say that we are more apt to take the recommendations of someone who is reliable and trustworthy, just think of, of the team trusting the wizard, right? trusting Bob. Right? Because of Bob's years and years of, of experience, the team could trust that his plays were going to work, that they were going to win, that they, he could be, be trusted with his play calls. Or, or even on the other side of that, think, think about Bob trusting the player who stood beside him calling out what he saw, because usually that player was not good enough to actually be playing, <laughs> right? So he had a trust that the kid could actually just, you know, kind of see things, right? right? If the high school kid got one thing wrong, it would blow up in their faces, but there was, it was reliability, there was, there was trust. There was a, a relationship between the two of them, and the whole thing just worked, right? And it blows my mind, right? This is the kind of relationship 
we're talking about. And it's not just true with, with movies or, or books or the latest diet that we want to recommend or the newest restaurant or, or football. Listen, right? I, I sure, I'm pretty sure you don't, you're not going to see this coming, but it's also true with our faith, right? That was kind of a, yeah, see? That was kind of a joke to get the, what? All right? It's also true with our faith. It just is, right? How we all are striving to forge our life on God, right? our best life, a, a life that is forged on him, right? Uh, who are we trusting to give us the information that we need to call out the plays in our lives, right? Who are we, we trusting to, to be our eyes, to set our vision or, or more importantly, who is, is trusting us as well? Now, right, for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about what it looks like to have our eyes open spiritually, uh, to have vision in different forms. And we're going to continue that today. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk specifically uh, about the church, uh, the foundry, our church, right? our local outpost in the kingdom of God and the vision that he has for us and how we're, we're going to be um, striving and walking in that vision and towards that vision. But I, I think for today, I think we can all agree that when our eyes are opened, right, when our eyes are, are brought open, when we see the truth, when we uncover uh, the power of sacrifice like we talked about last week, right, we will want to tell other people. Right? We, we want to tell other people. We don't want to keep it a secret. We want to share Jesus and his uh, amazing love and compassion and power and grace and truth with everybody that is around us. So to keep up with our analogy, right? once we have had our eyes opened, we want to all recommend to others so that, that they can get their eyesight checked as well. Right? They can have their eyes opened or their vision restored in the same manner. Right? I'm, I'm likely to follow the recommendation of someone who has a proven track record in an area. And like we said, that includes the area of faith. Right? If someone is patient with their family, I'm more likely to follow their advice when it comes to my family. Right? If someone has a track record of, of being generous... I, I tend to follow how they handle their money. Right? However, too often, this is the exact opposite of the impression people have of Christians. Right? And that's, that's hard to grasp, right? It's the exact opposite of the impression that people have of Christians, people who are forging their life on God. Right? In, our, in our world, in our culture, in our communities, Christians tend to have a reputation or a, a track record of being a little critical, maybe a little joyless, right? not, not a lot of fun, or, or maybe even lacking a little bit of empathy in our world, our communities, or even in a local church. Right? In fact, people may avoid relationships with Christians because they fear they will be judgmental. It's hard. Right? We, we Christians may lack credibility because our behavior doesn't seem to be loving and, and considerate so we lose that influence. Or maybe we, we have a solid track record, but it's one of talking about our friends behind their backs. Right? And look, this isn't, this isn't just 
about being judgmental towards people who follow Jesus. This is about examining a real profound paradox, right? A real tension in the lives of those who make up the Lord's church, who make up uh, the big C church, right? The, the bride of Christ. And so here's, here's the paradox that we're going to dig into today. Go ahead and throw that up there, Tyler. As Christians, we have discovered the incredible message of Jesus, right? We've had our eyes open, right? The message has the potential to open the eyes of everyone who hears it, right? Now look at this. But as with any message, like we said, the messenger is just as critical as what is being shared, right? right? Even if it's just a recommendation about food, right? I'm not going to trust Barrett, but I am going to trust, trust Ryan, right? It's the same thing, right? As people forging our life on God, we have had our eyes open, right? We, we have this vision, right? And like any good thing, we naturally, we want to share it with the world. But in order for others to accept our recommendation, we need to become the kind of people who other people will listen to, right? So here's the question, Foundry Church, right? How do we become the people who would have opportunities to turn on the light spiritually for others so that they can see better? Right? How do we become these types of people who can flick on that switch? Right? And people trust us enough to, to go to the light switch and flick it on in their lives. Right? So this is, this is how we're going to peel this onion this morning. Right? This tension. Jesus, again... Don't want to surprise you, but Jesus actually spoke about this very issue in one of his teachings, right? right? Christians often refer to this teaching as the Sermon on the Mount, right? And real quick, if you want to know what Jesus thought about something, how he, how he processed things or, or what he was like, read the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's the longest uninterrupted passage of scripture that we have from Jesus, right? And it talks about what he thinks about things in daily life, right? So read it, right? And if I ever, if I ever finish my doctorate, <laughs> Christina, thank you for the support. It will, be based, <laughs> it will be based on the Sermon on the Mount to some extent because in it, Jesus gave his followers, us, both a message and a mission, right? And the message, God loves them. That's the message in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. God loves you, right? Now, the, the, the mission, right, to tell people about it, right? To understand that God loves us, he loves you, and now we got to tell people about it, right? Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is gold. In his sermon, Jesus wanted to make the point that we need to be the type of people, right? We need to be the type of people whom others want to listen to, all right? right to, to illustrate his point, Jesus gives us two analogies of how we should appear to this world. And I believe that if, if we can embrace these two analogies, right, um, put them in our forging process of forging our life on God, our influence 
in our communities, our influence in our cities, the influence that we have as a global church in our world will just take off. It will skyrocket past anything we can ask or imagine, right? right? So the first analogy is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, right? So this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those with you. Those Bibles are free for you to take, to give away, to have, uh, as always. And you can also go to the, the free Foundry Burke app, especially if you're watching online. Uh, go to that app and click the Bible tab, and it's already pulled up there for you. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 is where we are, are going to start today. It says this. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Mark your page there. Keep your finger there. We'll be right back. Now, if you want to see what food tastes like without, without salt, right? try some salt-free popcorn. Gross. Yeah. Right? It's disgusting. No one wants to do that. Soft-free popcorn? Whatever, right? I'm not going to eat that. Now, the fun fact about the Keeney family, about Christina and I here, uh, when we go to the movies, we actually bring our own salt. Right? <laughs> she said, it's true. It is true. Right? I got her hooked on this special salt, right? It's, it makes popcorn even better, right? And we're serious about our, our buttered popcorn and salt. We can't just use any other just weird random salt that they purchased there, right? We got to bring the good stuff. And that's because salt adds huge flavor, right? It adds a huge flavor component. It complements whatever it's added to. It enhances the flavor of food, especially movie theater popcorn. And in this passage that we just read, that little section of scripture right there, Jesus told us that we are the salt of the earth. Right? You're the flavor enhancers of the earth. Right? We are the salt of our communities. We are the, the salt of our cities. We are the, the flavor enhancers of our, of our homes. And on and on and on we could go. Right? It comes down to, to this. Right, Christians are supposed to make the world a better place. Right? Just like our salt that we sneak in with my candy and, and, and pop. Right? Makes our popcorn better, right? Christians are supposed to make the world a better place. We are here to season, right, and enhance every environment we are in, right? The, the world around us should be better and more enjoyable because we are here. Think about that, right? That's a crazy thought, right? If we want, I mean, we want people to say yes, right, to the invitation to come and see Jesus, right? We want people to say yes to that, right? We need to be the kind of people who make every situation and every environment better by simply being there. Think about the, the gravity of that, right? In the same way, our absence should be noticeable, 
right? If that's such a huge thing, if we're, if we're there, we, we got to change the environment, right? Christina puts it like this. She says, um, instead of being a, a, a thermometer, we got to be a thermostat, all right? Not pretty good, but Jesus said be salt, so I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> right? we got to change the environment, but in the same way, uh, if we're there, we're changing it. If we're not there, our absence should be a little noticeable, right? When we taste food that's bland, what's the first thing we do? Pass the salt. Reach, we reach for the salt, right? right now, now, Foundry Church, in the same way, culture, the world, should be saying, man, man, I wish that there were some Christians here. Man, I really wish that that person who's forging their life on God is here right now. Now, can you actually imagine uh, someone saying that about Christians? Of course not. That's ridiculous, right? But that is exactly what was true of Jesus, right? He brought life to every action in every situation. And, and the only people, the only people who didn't like that, the only people who didn't like what Jesus was bringing to the table, right, the, the seasoning that he was putting on the, the steak of the world or the popcorn of the world, right, the only people who didn't like that were the religious people of the time. Ouch, right? right? The ones who loved the principles and the rules uh, and how holy they looked over other people. They didn't like Jesus. They didn't like salt. They liked bland stuff, right? I can say this because uh, my family's from Ireland historically, right? They were the Irish of the culinary world, right? They were the bland, right? They didn't want no seasoning, right? <laughs> but the broken... The, the, the drunkards, right? the, the, the sinners, the outsiders, the, the ones who just wanted to live their best life, right? but they just didn't know how to. They loved Jesus. Right? They loved the salt that he was bringing. Right? And it was not necessarily because of his charming personality. It even says in Scripture there was nothing special about his personality, right? Or, or it was not even that he told great jokes Although, in my opinion, Jesus was a master of sarcasm, this is not what they were looking for, right? This was just not what they were looking for. People wanted him around. They, they wanted him in their lives because he was the kind of person who was, who was just simply kind and compassionate and encouraging, and he had, he had gravitas about him. He had a, a weight about him. Uh, from one of my favorite authors, um, in one of his books, I forget which one actually, he tells the story of a time that he met John Wooden, the, the famous uh, basketball coach of UCLA. Um, I don't even know when he retired, probably what, the 70s, 80s, the 60s? Well, I don't know. All right, John Wooden, <laughs> right, back in the day, right? Wonderful guy, right? Wrote a lot about leadership. And, and love of his players. And John Wooden, if you don't know, was short. He was a short little dude, right? And he, he looked kind of like a grandpa, right? He had little round spectacles, glasses, and he was little. But, but what people would tell about him and say about him was the gravitas that he had, the weight that he had, right? He, he one time went into a, a gym, 
where all these NBA players were, were practicing and, and there, was, there was all this media and they were, they were uh, you know, enamored by all the, the NBA stars. And he walked in the back door of the gym and not even knowing that he was there, everyone just kind of stopped because he changed the room, right? The, the, the salt that he was using in his life, right, was different. They stopped and they turned and they looked at him and everyone listened to what he said. He didn't have to get anyone's attention. Just this little dude with little glasses and these, you know, giant men of basketball players, right? Gravitas. Right? That's what we're talking about, right? right? Who doesn't want to be around someone like that, right? People who are salt are, are just good dudes. They're just good guys, right? You know, someone says, hey, have you ever met so-and-so? Yeah, I met him. He's a good guy. Gravitas, good, just good, right? And we're not talking, again, about popularity when we say that, right? In fact, right, right, he often said things that made people mad at him. Jesus did, right? Jesus also, he did not wear or have or do things that made him fit in. He did not have the latest sneakers or glasses or, or flannel shirt. He didn't have the latest phone upgrade. In fact, he even once said in Matthew chapter 8, uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Listen, this guy didn't even have a pillow, right? <laughs> but it did not matter because those things were not what made him salt. They didn't add the weight, right? right? What, what made people want to be around him? Right? What, what made the, the broken and the lost feel at home with him? What was it that he did uh, and, and do that made him the salt uh, of the earth? It, it, was, it was this, right? Jesus simply and authentically loved people. That was it. Simply and authentically, he loved people. His kindness, his empathy, and compassion uh, flowed from his love of people. His simple love of people, right? You, you see, when, when, when we just love people, you don't need any other stuff, right? You don't need to know the latest TikTok dance, even though that's fun, right? You don't need to dress a certain way, even though that might be what's in style. You don't, anything, right? You don't need anything but an authentic heart that loves people. We can all do that. There's hope there. We can all do that. And we can have this weight, this gravitas, this, this saltiness of the earth. And I think it's safe to say that this, this kind of person that we're talking about is just inherently a good dude, a good person, a likable person, right? right? This, this concept is why one of our, our values that we, we lead from here at the Foundry is welcoming authenticity, right? It's not just something we put on the wall out there in the lobby or we talk about at pasta with your pastor, right? It's true because we don't, we don't care who you are, where you are in your life, how much money you make, or, or what you can do or give to the foundry. We just want you to, to, to we just want to give you the love that Jesus gave us. And then we want to help you and guide you to do that for others, right? right now, now, on the other hand, 
right? On the other hand of this, if we don't enhance our surroundings, Jesus tells us that we're the opposite of essential, right? The second part of 13, let me read it again, right? You're the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Right? If salt isn't doing its job, Jesus says it's worthless. <laughs> the, the very presence of our lives should be a joy to those around us. And if it isn't, well, we might be worthless. It's harsh. Watch your toes here for a second because it's going to get real and I might step on them. All right, some religious toes here. If, if we've had our eyes open, if we've had our eyes open, if we have our spiritual vision, if we are forging our lives on God and we've made that commitment, and if we call ourselves a, a, a Christian, then we need to be asking ourselves some questions. And listen, even if you're not completely sold out on this whole Jesus thing, if you're still trying to figure out who he is and if you're going to forge your life on him, if he's worth it, no matter where we are on this journey in this forging process, you should ask yourself these questions. Do I improve the environment I'm in? Do I enhance the relationships that I'm in? Be honest, think about that. What would your spouse say? What would your friends say? What would your kids say? Or, or your boss? Your employees? What would your coworkers say? Your neighbors? Would they agree that their lives are better because you are in it? Or simply around it? Listen, man, if you... You come into your home and your children and your wife, they don't light up because you're there or they're like, oh, all right, the day's over now, <laughs> right? We might have a problem, right? Or if your, your wife is not relieved to sit down with you at the end of the day and talk about her day, there might be an issue. Or ladies, if you come to a staff meeting and the, the collective group goes, oh, <laughs> because you're there. And this meeting's going to get ruined or whatever. We might need to rethink some things. Watch out, right? If we walk outside of these doors and not a single person in our life knows that we are a follower of Jesus and that we love them authentically, no matter what, well, in the words of Jesus, we might be worthless. We have to live in such a way that enhances the people and the places around us, if we are hoping to help them open their eyes, uh, if we're hoping to help them and open their eyes so that they can see Jesus and have this vision and then begin to forge a life on him, we've got to be salt. We've got to be flavor enhancers. Right? Many of you have heard me talk about this, this before. About my, my four best friends, we, we call ourselves the four horsemen. It's after, I think it's after, we call ourselves the four horsemen after these guys. 
the original four horsemen. They were running backs at Notre Dame, right? And they call them themselves the four horsemen. My other friends, they think we're after these guys. They're not as... <laughs> my, my other friends aren't as cultured as I am. They'd rather do WWE, right? Um, no one thinks we're like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But, uh, actually, this is us. This is us, all right? Brad, he's a football coach at Coastal Carolina, and he also leads a, uh, a Bible study for athletes at Coastal Carolina, where over 100 players come to get, athletes come together each week, and, and they study and they encourage each other to be salt in their prospective sports. Tyler, right there, the little guy, he wasn't very good. Um, he, uh, he married my sister, so I rag on him. Um, he, uh, my brother-in-law, Tyler, he, uh, he's a banker. He's, uh, he's a banker. He's the uh, vice president of a bank in Kentucky. He's uh, a deacon at his church. He used to be a youth minister as well. Uh, the guy lives, lives a life of salt, right? Uh, there's me, the handsome one. <laughs> I only used this picture because all the recent pictures, we are all like 100 pounds heavier. <laughs> and then there's Clint. Clint is the, the grumpy one of the group. And uh, Clint is, uh, he's a uh, hospice chaplain and social worker uh, for Hospice of Indiana. And he, uh, if, if you ever, Clint's, Clint has, has had a hard life. But if you know him or if he knows you, He's there for you. He doesn't even have to like you. But if you're going through something hard, he's going to have your back. And he's going to help you. All right, you can take those down. They don't want to see those ugly mugs. All right, but some of you also know, right, those that we, we call ourselves the four horsemen. All right, we've been friends for years and years and years. And some of you also know that my dad, my best friend, my dad, and my hero is currently in the hospital. Right? He's been uh, intubated. He's been in a medical coma since last Saturday. So a little more than a week now. Right, and he's in Lexington, and when uh, uh, the, the day that he went into the hospital, one of the horsemen in our group chat, without me saying anything, just texted out, hey, we need to pray for Keeney's dad, right? And then he just typed up a prayer, a little prayer. Another asked, how could he help my mom, right? And another texted me directly and said that uh, he loved me, and he was thankful uh, for my dad and how he raised me, and if I told anyone that, he would kill me. <laughs> That was Clint, right? A little grumpy, but still there, right? And that's what salt looks like. It's what we need, man, right? It's not flashy. It doesn't even have to be grand, right? Those are just text messages, right? It is authentic love that makes a, a situation better. And there's hope in that. I know I said some hard things, right, a few minutes ago, right, tough things. We don't got to stay there because Jesus gives us the power to be the salt. You're thinking, what can I do? What can I do? It's Jesus doing it through you. You just got to get out of the way and let God do it. Be that salt, right? Well, Matthew chapter 14, the, the first part of 14 there says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. That's what it's going to, Right? That's the step. You're the light. Jesus says you're the light of the world. Have you ever been in a, a lost in a dark place? What is the one thing that you want most? If you're lost in a dark place, what do you want? All right? You, you want light. You want, you want light. You want to, 
You want light that gives you the ability to see what's going on. Right? Light in a, a dark room provides relief and comfort because, because now you can see. Right? You, you know what's going on. You can, you can see the vision. Right? And remember, the vision, vision is uh, defined as a preferred future, a, a destination. Right? You can see it now. It's in reach now. It might be over the horizon, but it's there. You can see the path. It's there. Right? Light in a dark room provides relief. It provides comfort because now you can see it. When you are lost and you cannot see what's going on, there's nothing more comforting than someone coming along and providing a light for you. Right? How, how many of you were afraid of your basement when you were growing up? Or maybe still afraid of your basement. I don't know. Right? Or your grandma's basement. Like, or your grandpa's attic or something like that when you were little. Notice I'm raising my hand. Right? Because my grandma, my grandma had this huge basement. Right? And I loved my grandma's basement when the lights were on. Right? When the lights were on. See, my grandma and grandpa's house was a little weird. It was a big house. And my grandpa had built the basement. Right? He had built it, uh, poured the basement did everything, and then he, he went to World War II, right? So the basement was poured, and then they put, like, a roof on it, and then he was gone for, like, four years or something like that. And so the basement had this huge, wonderful kitchen, right, in addition to the kitchen upstairs. So, like, my grandma, my grandma was always cooking. She had uh, got those Better Homes and Gardens magazines, and when she'd get those in the mail, she would cook every recipe, like, that weekend, right? And that's when I was there, right? <laughs> I'm at grandma's. <laughs> Better Homes and Gardens is coming out. I got to get to grandma's. Right? So that kitchen downstairs was always, uh, was always rolling with something. Right? I loved it down there. I, I, I could still smell it. Right? I could still smell it, and I could smell the food. Right? And, and the thing is, though, if the lights weren't on, you never seen a kid run up those stairs as fast as I did. Man, right? Because it was scary, because it was built a little weird, right? <laughs> it, was, it was just different. And I, I had to run up those stairs to save my life. Right? Darkness hides things. Right? It didn't matter what it smelled like down there. Right? It makes things, the darkness, it makes things look bigger, scarier than they are in light. Darkness reminds us of things that we're just not sure about. Like, like if there was a coat in the corner, I thought it was that Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy. Right? <laughs> Darkness can take away our vision. But, but again, here's the hope foundry. Here's the, the, the hope foundry, church. It can only do that if we let it. And you have the power to stop it. Because of, of the spirit of God that lives within inside of us. If you've ever been in a dark place in your life, in your marriage, in your friendships, in school, in your job, in your health. What do you want more than anything else? Light. Again, right? Someone to help you, to show you the way, to come alongside you, to provide that clarity, that direction, and that comfort. You want someone to follow after, who knows the way out. You want someone who can light the way for you, someone to remind you of that spiritual vision, that preferred future, that picture of the future. I think it's why Jesus commands us to be light 
of the world and why it's so encouraging. Take a, take a look at this, right? Christians, people who are forging their life on God, should be the first people others think of when they're in need. We should be the first people that people think of when they're in need. When people are in crisis, we should be the first people they call. We can share about the, the power of forgiveness. We can share about finding financial freedom. We can share about a better way to do uh, relationships. We can share about ways to be emotionally healthy. We can share about how they are lovable. That they are loved by God. And even if they are different from us or, or on the different side of a political aisle than us or, or a viewpoint than us, we can still say God loves you. All right? I may just like you, but God loves you. <laughs> They're lovable. We're lovable. Look, our reputation, our reputation should be one of helping people see where they are going and where they can go. Seeing that preferred future of their life, the, the vision that God has for them. Our reputation should be one of helping people see that. Not reminding them of the darkness that they might be in at that moment. Don't remind people of darkness. Remind people of light. Right? right? When people are in crisis, we should be the first people they call. We should be the ones showing people the way when they are in dark. Look, Jesus continues in verse 14. Let me just start at the beginning of 14 again. It says, you are the light of the world. Right? Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. We know the analogy, like when you're on a plane, you see the lights or, or the uh, lights of a city far off while you're driving on the highway. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, right? No one does that. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. It gives light to everyone. People will notice, notice us and what we're doing. Right? People notice the light when it's, when it's placed on the stand, the light stand, and, and it's around the house. Right? And because of that, we as Christians should be credible. But the only way that we can be credible, sources of light to others, like we talked about at the very beginning, we got to be credible, right? Is if we are actually living those things out. And here's the truth. You're only credible if you're actually forgiving people. And you have the power to do it. The Spirit of God's in you. You're actually wise if you're actually wise with your finances. You're only credible if you actually believe that God does have something to say about who we are and about our, 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 our physical health and, and our bodies and, and just everything. He has something to say about everything. If you actually have doubt with your anger, you're credible, or your lack of patience, right? If you actually show kindness to yourself, if you're actually putting hammer to anvil and you're forging ahead daily in your faith, our lives have to speak with credibility, right? It is a tragedy that any person going through a dark time in this world, people who we should be influencing would choose to run from the church, we should be the people that they run to. People ran 
to Jesus. Right? His, his reputation of helping hurting people built his credibility. People trusted him, so they went to him. Even people that weren't Jewish went to him. Samaritans and Gentiles, right? People trusted him. Christians should be credible because Jesus is credible, right? Right, so, so here is another question for today. Am I credible? Am I credible, right? Do I have a gravitas, a weight about me? When people look at my life, is it lining up with my beliefs so that others can see, uh, see it and that they can, can trust me when their life is going into a dark place, would anyone take my recommendation? Would anyone trust me with their darkness? Am I credible? But if we want to be people who help other people see, we have to both be salt and light. We have to be both likable and credible, having both components is an absolute must. Jesus put these two analogies, these two metaphors together for a reason. Look, you can have all the credibility in the world, but people have to feel safe around you. They got to trust you, right? They have to know that they are not going to receive judgment from you. And in the same way, you can be totally likable and people love being around you, but they never come to you for real help when they need it, if your, do, if your life doesn't, doesn't look like any different from their life, right? You, you, they still like you, but they're not going to come to you for anything, for any help or support. You're not going to have influence. Both salt and light are necessary, right? These two qualities together will help us do what Jesus called us to do, right? Look, the whole point of it is this. We are here to help other people to learn to see. That's what it all comes down to, right? Vision. The last three weeks, before we jump into the, uh, the actual practicalities of vision for the foundry, it comes down to that, right? We are, we are here to help other people learn to see if you're forging your life on Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 uh, says this. In the same way... Right? It talks about that, salt, light. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. <laughs> right? If you are being salt and light, we will achieve the mission that Jesus gave us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey his commandments to the very end of the age. Right? And how we define that here at the foundry? We're here to guide people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. We're making disciples and we're guiding them to share that love, to see that vision. Right? Man, if we're being salt and light, we'll achieve that mission that Jesus gave us. When we are salt and light, the invitation to come and to see Jesus begins to take care of itself. With the, the ones in our families who we just think are lost causes or the black sheep, the, the people in the community that just drive us nuts, right? This world, right? It just takes care of itself 
when we are salt and light, the invitation that we give to say, hey, come and check out Jesus. People notice. People pay attention. They, they, they begin to, to lean in. And they, they ask, why is your life this way? <laughs> why are your kids this way? Your marriage, your dating life, your, your work ethic. Why are you so peaceful in such a difficult time? When we live this way, people start to take notice. And if you're not a Christian, think about that. You have the power to change this world. Jesus is saying, hey, you're created in my image. I love you. And you are going to be the season bringer of this world, the light of this world. He's given you purpose and direction. And Jesus says, when we do all that, they, they, the world, the, and the world will praise your Father in heaven. The world will lift high the name of the God that we are forging our life on. And what does that mean? Does it mean that they're all going to come to church and immediately become Christians? That they're immediately going to decide to live their best life, a life that's forged on God? Not necessarily, right? But it means that people will begin to acknowledge that the way you are and the way that you live, it comes from somewhere. That it will cause them to wonder if God is real or if life is ruled by a greater authority. When we live as salt and light, our lives become a marker, a directional sign, a neon sign with a flashing arrow pointing to the one we love and believe in, the one that we forge our life on. There's hope there. Your life matters. How you live your life matters. What you do for the kingdom matters. We matter because we are called to be the salt and to be the light. Our very lives should be one of open invitation, a trustworthy recommendation telling people, come and see. See the grace and the truth and the power of our Lord. Now, as I bring this plane into the barn here, I want to leave you with a few more questions to consider. And think about these as you leave today or as you're out to eat with your family or tonight when you close your eyes or before you close your eyes. If you close your eyes, you're already asleep. All right. <laughs> think about these questions. Are you the type of person people view as credible? Like we already asked. Are you living for others and making their lives better? Do your actions line up with your values and your beliefs? It's a gut check question. Good time at the beginning of the year to ask these questions. And we walk in the walk and we talk in the talk, right? I mean, imagine what could happen if we were the kind of people others turn to first. Imagine what could happen if our worlds and actions conveyed joy, compassion, and genuine care, and a power that's available to change this world from the top to the bottom. Because if we truly become salt and light in this world, the possibilities for helping others open their eyes 
to Jesus are endless. Are endless. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And as they work their way on up here. And as we continue to worship, think about these questions. And just worship the God that we're forging our life on. And know that it is his power to do this. He's not saying, hey, you're on your own in this. He's saying, I'm with you. And you're going to change this world. Let's worship him this morning with one more song. Let's stand and sing.